Hi and welcome to Top in Tech. The announcement in January 2022 that Microsoft was acquiring Activision Blizzard sent shockwaves through the tech sector and it thrust the gaming industry to the forefront of industry and regulatory conversations like never before. The twists and the turns of the regulatory approval processes in the US, the UK and Brussels have kept attention fixed on the deal and the gaming sector more broadly. So it's an appropriate moment to take stock and assess where the regulatory agenda has got to with the gaming industry in how it's been affected by cross-cutting legislation and how the gaming industry has been affected by specific regulatory initiatives. As every good representative of the gaming industry will remind us regularly, this is a massive industry. It is significantly bigger than both the film and music industries combined, but it's often forgotten in media and political conversations. So perhaps today we're going to adjust that just a little bit. And to join me in doing so is Josh Bates, an associate in our London office who leads our analysis of the gaming industry. So thank you very much for joining me today, Josh. Let's take Microsoft Activision as our starting point. It's been moving a lot, as I referred to earlier, lots of twists and turns. So can you just update listeners on where we are up to and where does this leave competition in the gaming sector? Hi, Conan. Yes, this particular deal has been huge for the gaming industry. I mean, it's the biggest single acquisition that we've seen, and the scale of it is pretty huge. And it's gone from a place and a journey where passage of the deal seemed almost impossible with three different regulators deeply scrutinating the deal across the EU, UK, and US to a position now where it's just the UK that holds the deal back, and it seems like a deal might be imminent. You had the US FTC, which attempt to block the deal earlier this year, but ultimately failed to get a delay on the deal back in July. Uh, The EU approval of the deal following some concessions from Microsoft on how it would implement it. And most recently, you've seen Microsoft come to a further deal with Sony, where they'll ensure that Microsoft Activision products will be allowed on the Sony PlayStation console for at least the next 10 years. And we're now expecting an imminent decision from the UK CMA after it has gone back from its initial position, which if you look back at some of their wording and phrasing, seemed like they were pretty set on blocking the deal and that they weren't willing to reevaluate the decision. But they've claimed that using the Enterprise Act and due to the changing situation around it, they've been able to reevaluate and look at the deal once again. But it's pretty hard not to see this decision as at least somewhat influenced by the wider global decisions of the FTC and the EU. But there, I mean, there are lots of other broader questions still left unanswered about what digital competition looks like moving forward, how game passes affect the industry and competition are one particular big question. For a lot of small developers, game passes, which allow Microsoft and Sony's of the world to do a monthly subscription for people to buy video games, can be a huge boon and allow for small developers and indie developers to get their products seen by large audiences. But it also creates this big uncertainty and move away from where the traditional sales of video games were seen in stores and in physical copies into this unknown of how much would they have made if they'd have published it individually? How much is Microsoft controlling which, how much are other platforms controlling which games are selected to be on these game passes? So even though this saga of digital competition has been answered, there's still a lot of questions as to how this deal is going to work in effect and then how more broadly we're going to be dealing with digital competition moving forward. 
There's also the issue that has come up around mobile operating systems. And I know the UK's CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority, was looking into this and had a case looking into some of these mobile operating systems derailed here. But I suspect once we see the Digital Markets Unit in the UK come into force, and indeed this might be affected by the EU's Digital Markets Act, you might see those competition regulators look at the access given by mobile operating systems to companies such as Microsoft, actually, and how they are able to pilot their cloud gaming platforms on mobile systems. And let's move on to a separate issue, Josh, which has actually been almost as totemic for the sector, but also for other areas like social media, which is online safety. In the EU, we've had the Digital Services Act. In the UK, we've obviously got the legislation going through at the moment with the online safety bill, something you follow extremely closely. So if we look at the online safety bill, the OSB as it's called, what does that currently look like for the gaming sector? What impact does that have? Are they going to face the same level of regulatory obligations and compliance as, say, a Facebook or an Instagram or a TikTok? Yes. So for those who haven't had the pleasure that I've had to follow the online safety bills ins and outs for over the last few years, this has been a massive piece of legislation that's been through various changes, different governments, different priorities. But very broadly and similarly to the EU's DSA, this piece of legislation isn't primarily targeted at video game platforms and developers and companies, but inevitably they're going to get dragged into elements of the legislation. So category one of the online safety bill will be platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, the traditional social media companies, which will have to uh, adhere to some quite stringent regulation. But then lower categories such as 2B, which are the sort of wider platforms and any sort of online service that allows for user-to-user interaction will still be covered by the bill. And that will basically require them to demonstrate how they're mitigating online abuse, requiring them to be more transparent about how they implement age assurance and more broadly having to report to Ofcom as a regulator around online safety. And now what's really thrown the cat amongst the pigeons recently is that just as the bill's about been finalised within the House of Lords, a Baroness has introduced an amendment and successfully passed it that has changed how Ofcom would categorise these platforms. Whereas before you would need to have both size in terms of users and risk in terms of the functionalities that you allow on your platform, she's managed to change it so it can be either or. So if you happen to be a video game where you have a huge user base, you could possibly see yourself dragged into some of these much more stringent requirements where you actually have to introduce a lot more measures to allow for users to verify themselves, to allow for users to control what kind of content they come across. So it really could be a sizable change to the bill and we're going to have to wait until the autumn to see whether or not this remains in the finalized bill or it gets removed. But more broadly across the world, you're also seeing moves on online safety. Obviously, the DSA has been passed in the EU and we're currently seeing the Kids Online Safety Act being introduced in the US. And moving forward, it's unlikely that we'll see it passed by the Congress. But with a US election on the horizon, you could really see online safety becoming a key issue in the states as well. Whatever happens with that amendment, in the UK, the gaming industry is going to see an increased level of compliance with regards to online safety processes and checks than it had before. 
obviously what happens then in September, October could be pretty pivotal for just the level and the threshold at which that applies. And it clearly, the industry would be pretty spooked if it has to deal with exactly the same measures as say some of the largest social media companies in the world who have billions of users. So that's a big, big issue to be resolved later in the year. But if we look even further ahead, Josh, one of the things we covered a lot last year when we did our report on regulating the metaverse were questions raised by virtual worlds and virtual reality. And that's where obviously gaming is seen as very much an early, early use case that people see potentially taking off over the next few years. One thing that came up repeatedly, not just with gaming, but, but it was related to gaming and around virtual worlds and VR was online safety and how this could create new issues for regulators. So in the months that we've passed since we last discussed this, how have you seen this debate play out with regards to the gaming industry and more broadly with VR and online safety? Yeah, but as you say, the video game industry is often one which really leads on these new technological developments and innovations, which can then often filter through into other parts of entertainment and the wider world. And the metaverse has really been seen as a key realm that the video game industry is developing and exploring. I mean, one of the key questions that we're going to see is as the DSA and online safety bill are implemented in the coming years, how are they actually going to apply to the virtual world and metaverse that we expect to see or have already emerged? And as much as governments have said that they fully expect these pieces of legislation to be applicable, the proof is going to be in how well they actually work in practice. So it will be a bit of a wait and see in terms of this current pieces of legislation. But in terms of stuff coming on the horizon, we've already seen the EU publish their virtual worlds initiative, which whilst not outlining any specific sort of legislative action that they're looking to make right now, they set it up as an area that they want to explore further as an area of strategic importance to the EU, especially as it tries to define itself as a technological hub that can stand against the US. And the UK has been increasingly looking at harm through a metaverse lens. So as I already mentioned in the um, House of Lords, there's been a lot of debate about the bill and about how it can apply to the metaverse. I mean, whilst a lot of politicians really do admit that there is unlimited opportunity for creativity within the metaverse, there is a question of how many new avenues it could open up for new harms. And there are particular lords which are really sort of pushing this and looking to ensure that the online safety bill is fit for the future and can adapt to these new technologies. But more broadly, on the tech issue of the day on AI, I mean, that has huge implications for the video game industry in that it presents unlimited possibility for games to be developed a lot quicker, for things in the backgrounds and areas of developers' work that would often be quite monotonous, whether that's just writing lines for characters to say in video games, allowing AI to do a lot of that work in the background could really help save development time. But on the other side of things, you've got the threat that it does pose to the creative industries and the work that video game developers do. So more broadly, how we see governments approach AI is really then going to have knock-on effects on the video game industry as well. So in the online safety virtual world interaction, I guess what we're saying there is it's pretty unlikely in the coming years that in any of the major policy jurisdictions that we're going to see a new piece of legislation but instead, you might see established legislation like the Digital Services Act in Brussels or indeed evolving legislation like the Online Safety Bill in the UK be applied to these virtual worlds and virtual reality. And there you could see some enforcement 
awesome questions raised by regulators towards the gaming industry or indeed other industries about how online safety is operating in more immersive environments. When on AI, we'll watch this space, I guess. Uh, we'll see if a debate plays out like we've seen with the Hollywood strikes and various others about how this could affect the mechanics of how the gaming industry works. So we've talked, Josh, quite a lot about how cross-cutting so-called horizontal legislation impacts the gaming industry and the gaming sector. But we haven't talked so much about rules that have specifically gaming in mind. And the issue that really comes up most there is around loot boxes. And there's lots of talk globally about banning loot boxes. So could you just give us a quick sense of, of where do things stand in major markets with regards to this debate? Yes. I mean, loot boxes has been an issue of debate for various years now, to the point where a lot of gaming developers and platforms have moved away from using loot boxes entirely in an, both anticipation that regulation was coming down the line and in exploring new revenue models for video games. But I mean, just this year, we've seen a lot of action from different jurisdictions on the issue. In January, the European Parliament adopted a report calling for more harmonized EU rules in relation to achieving better player protection within video games, which was incredibly focused on loot boxes, calling for a lot more transparency as to your win percentages when you open a loot box, the rarity of these virtual items that you're going to get, ensuring people understand how necessary they are to the game and what value they provide. And in the UK, we've seen sort of similar moves. So last year, the government did a review of the UK gambling regulation and decided that loot boxes wouldn't come under that particular piece of legislation. However, they've been working quite closely with the video game industry on this. And quite recently, they announced with Yuki, who are the video game trade body, a whole set of new commitments from UK video game companies around introducing tech controls to stop under 18s from buying loot boxes, forming a panel on age assurance and how that can be assured within the video game industry, um, providing more transparency on loot boxes. So really committing to address this from the industry side as opposed to swiring regulation. And over in the US, things haven't moved forward slightly as much. In Illinois, there was an attempt to try and add warning labels to loot boxes to ensure that people understood the gambling risks associated with them, but that wasn't passed. But there have been numerous expressions from Democrats about how they want to introduce some more protections around loot boxes. At one point, they even cited the UK's age-appropriate design code as a possible avenue for reducing their impact on young people. But you could really see how if the Democrats were successful in their next US election, this could become an issue that they look push forward whilst they have control of both houses. So the story to date then is one of increased scrutiny and particular moves towards greater transparency, but we're still not at the point where either the British government, US either federal or state level, or indeed the EU institutions are looking to outright ban these loot boxes. So they're binding their time and waiting to see whether the industry can respond in an appropriate way. And I guess this is an issue that's going to play out over the next few years. So Josh, let's conclude on a UK-specific, well, we'll be very parochial for a few minutes here, UK-specific topic, which is around where the Labour Party is with regards to the gaming industry. A few weeks ago, we had Megan Stagman came onto the podcast, and she talked us through, broadly speaking, where the Labour Party was approaching the major issues with regards to the tech sector and labour. But we didn't get into the gaming industry. So 
I wondered if you might compliment what Megan was saying a few weeks ago and just give us a sense of where are their instincts with regards to the gaming industry? Do they think it's a good thing, something they want to promote, or do they see this as something that needs to be regulated in the various ways that we've just discussed? Yes, as as Megan will have touched upon, Labour's digital priorities and commitments are still somewhat uncertain broadly, as we're still probably a little way out from a UK election. But what we can see is early signs of where Labour feels and stands around the video game industry. For instance, there's an all-party parliamentary group within Parliament. The majority of MPs on that committee are Labour MPs. You have Alex Sobel, who chairs the all-parliamentary group, who is now a shadow minister in the Department for uh, the Environment, and Seema Maholtra, who is a shadow minister in the Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Department, is incredibly supportive of the video game industry as well. And Alex Davy-Jones, a shadow DCMS minister, has spoken at quite a lot of lengths about the need to increase esports within the UK and to support for ensuring that the government's really tries to attract more esports and that kind of video game entertainment to the country. But there's going to be a question of how that really feels and how that corresponds against their broader policies and feelings around tech. They've already expressed interest in doing more work around online safety. At one point, they talked about doing an online safety bill 2.0. Now, the practicality of actually introducing that makes it somewhat unlikely they'll ever come to fruition. But you could very easily see a world where the Labour Party looks to tighten things up around online safety regulation, especially towards young people. Around digital competition as well, they've expressed a willingness to be stronger on this compared to the government. So again, you could see new measures brought in that would perhaps look to strengthen the UK-specific companies and their development of video game titles. But also again, as I've already touched on, AI is going to be such a huge issue that both parties are going to have to grapple with. And Labour have already expressed their real willingness to work alongside workers and protect workers' rights as AI is increasingly developed within the creative industries. And so you might see a world in which the Labour Party might be supportive of the video game industry very broadly, but will also be really looking to fight for individual workers' rights and ensure that video game developers aren't allowing for AI to take jobs or limit the creativity of the UK video game sector. It's that tension, isn't it, between a Labour government will clearly want to encourage the growth of the UK's tech sector, the growth of the UK's creative industries, and as part of both of those, the growth of the UK's gaming industry, which is a big success story in the UK. But at the same time, there will almost inevitably be, as you point out, Josh, other competing policy priorities, online safety being an obvious one, but also the development of safe AI that could at times trump their desire to court and to grow and to develop those industries that we've talked about, including gaming. So there will be that tension almost inevitably should they take power next year. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you to everyone who's been listening to this episode this week. If you want to pick up the conversation with Josh or with any other members of the GC team, just go on our website, www.global-council.com, where you can find all of our details and indeed you can find links in the podcast notes thank you very much and see you next week bye bye